0: Hello, everyone. We're your hosts, Khaled mada and this is the Unified for Palestine podcast, where we talk to different Palestinians around the world about their Palestinian identity. This is part two of episode three, featuring Ahmed Shahabaddin, an Emmy nominated journalist. So, without further ado, let's get into this episode. So,
1: to so touch on the occupation a bit, and actually, Jana Jihad. this up to us i don't know how we didn't think about ourselves we talk about the occupation all the time me and meda and most people who talk about it as you know what it is the occupation the the physical barriers the settlements Mm -hmm. different ids but we don't really touch upon the mental aspect the of or the or the psychology behind what happens to palestinians who who you know live through that and it even affects other palestinians too so it affects people like you like me it affects people in, Ghazada, in the west bank in, in 1948 so so you know so you have okay palestinians with israeli citizenship they gave them different names Then you have the ones with the blue ids then you have people like us who are exiled we're not allowed to go back unless we go back like in my case in your case as u.s citizens we're not right. allowed to go back as palestinians um since, since I feel like you've, you've been very familiar with all this and you've experienced it yourself, how would you, how do you feel about it, first of all? And how would you contribute Ooh. to tackling the issue? Because that's part of the reason why we even have this to start with. We wanna, as much as Let me can... ask
2: you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what you should never do and ask you a question with in response to your question, and then I'll answer your question. Um, why did you start this? In like. A sentence or two
0: I think so we did a protest here and then a lot of people would come up to us like at least personally for me like you're half Palestinian why are you doing this uh, like it just doesn't make sense so we are always like why are we we're not I don't want to be too divisive or say it in a negative um, say I... but um it's just if you're a quarter Palestinian you're also a Palestinian if we can benefit from you and your platform Um, In any way, shape or form, like any, like dancing could be a form of resistance, Um, you know, writing, storytelling, whatever it is, expressing yourself, proving that you exist. You know, we exist and we need to show that side of us, but we also need to be unified. Like we also want to show that a Palestinian is a Palestinian, whether it's 1948, whether it's the people in Chile, Honduras, um, Syria, Lebanon, all those people, they're Palestinians at the end of the day.
1: For me, for me, my my first actual shock with this was when I when I moved to Budapest. I was um, out somewhere with my friends, and I met a guy. He goes like, "Oh, where are you from?" I, um, so I say, "U.S." And he asks, me, "Where are you from?" I ask him, "Sorry, I ask him, where are you from?" He goes like, "Israel." I was like, "Okay, cool. What's your name?" Khaled Omar. So I looked at him, I was like, "Wait." So I switched to Arabic. I'm like, "Are you Palestinian?" He's like, "Yeah." I was like, "Okay. So why are you are you saying that?" And then he just explained this entire. Point of view and how you know because he has Israeli citizenship, he has trouble identifying himself as well with people in general, not just Palestinians. But yeah, that was my first experience with it. To be fair, it took us like a few years to tackle the issue, but here we are. And and yeah, it's something that I think most of us go through. That's just that's just just an effect of divide and conquer. That's (laughs) what happens.
2: Hundred percent. I mean, you you took the words right out of my mouth at the end there. Divide and conquer. Let's break that down a bit because you asked about mental, the mental occupation, if you will. It is a deliberate strategy that is proven time and time again in history that if you want to eradicate or occupy or control any word, insert any word there, if you want to oppress, if you want to control, if you want to conquer... As Israel is doing to Palestinians, the way you do it, you don't just burn their houses, kick them out, tell them to come back, you know, send to areas, which is all what happened in the 40s, and you know, what you do then is when we say divide and conquer, is you rob them of their sense of worth. And their sense of self and their right to self determination. Like all these words that get thrown around at the UN and, you know, in psychology, self determination is an important concept that refers to each person's ability to make choices and manage their own life. This ability plays an important role in psychological health and well being. Self determination allows people to feel that they have control over their choices and lives that's actually maybe the best framework to, to advocate for Palestinian rights. And that's why we say the right to self-determination. Like for me, talking about the nation state or the right of return or all these, or history or Oslo or the even the settlements. I mean, we should talk about all that, of course, because that limits our right to self-determination. But the most fundamental thing is the mental occupation is true. It should be focused on more. Why? Because that is how you kill a people. Israel has gone so far as to count the calories that they are allowing to, to be brought into Gaza, for example, where you know, over 1.5. Calcu- the military calculated it to, to make sure that it was right at the limit so that they don't die of hunger. So that the people don't starve like the children are starving in Yemen and all over the world. Why did they do that? Because that's psychological warfare. That's mental occupation. Because then you're taking away a person's right to be able to feed himself and his family. You know? And why did they do that? Because Palestinians then start having babies, and that's our only weapon, and we're going to overpopulate. You know. There's all these. But yeah, I mean, quickly, sorry, I sidetracked. But my documentary on Vice, there was a little portion of it. There was a little, and we were in El Khalil. We were in Hebron. And I walked up a stairwell and you know, that's kind of the most visceral, visual demonstration of of the David and Goliath and like the occupier and the the victim kind of, you know. And there was a little boy sitting on a stairwell with caging everywhere right outside his house. And maybe because I'm empathetic, but I could feel the occupation on his face. I could feel it in his voice. And I was transfixed as a human, not as a journalist, but then thankfully my journalism thing kicked in and I started talking to the kid and filmed it with my iPhone. And and that part made it into the doc. Why? It was just, he was staring at the playground where he used to play. This is a child. This is a child, okay? He is staring at the playground and I'm watching him stare at it as if he's staring at something like that. He's, you know, it's like, you know, when you're a child, everything is heightened. and there's now barbed wire and there's Israeli children playing there and he can't play there and he used to play there and now he can't play there. And like, no matter what his dad tells him about why he can't play there, no matter what the Israeli soldiers say or whatever, whatever. in that human moment, to your answer your question Khaled, these are the moments and the things that we need to contextualize and talk about more and, and show more. Why? Not because, oh, pity this poor little child. No, but because in that moment, and I think I interviewed him, like, why, why can't you play there? What are you looking at? I should, you know, and he looked at that. Is exactly the mental occupation at that age. They want this child to grow up. That child's gonna, you know, these are traumas that we that live in us. He's gonna have PTSD about why he, all of a sudden he never could play on the one playground that he loved to play. You know, and then think of all the other things in his life and the checkpoints and the. You know all the, and he's gonna lose his brother, and he's gonna get taftish, and he's gonna, and, you know, it's that through that simple because, because it's easy to, what a lot of people like to do is to obfuscate when it comes to this occupation. They love to talk about the past or the future. Is it two state? Is it one state? Do we have the right to come back? What was it like in Oslo? Well, this house was a Jewish temple 400 years ago. So now we're going to kick out the Palestinian family living there. This, those conversations are the ones that dominate, right? And it's intentional, just like the mental occupation is intentional. Why? It's intentional because by simply By simply doing this and making it about the past or the future, you are conveniently avoiding what will make people relate to the pain and suffering of this occupation for all sides to varying degrees, because let's be real, Israelis are suffering a lot less. You are conveniently avoiding the present moment and the reality on the ground for all people in the present moment, which is, quite frankly, shitty for everybody. You know, but much shittier for the Palestinians and especially the Palestinians who are here and here and there. And like you were saying, the ones who have the license plate, who are allowed to drive on these streets and the ones who don't have the Hawiya and the ones who aren't allowed to go in, but the ones who are American. And they keep trying to play this game of divide and conquer because they're even trying to mentally occupy your mind and my mind, despite the fact that you might have an American passport and that you have all these rights. and, And it's a strategy that's extremely effective, not just in Israel and Palestine, but if you go back to conflicts all over the world. You know, Africa, Rwanda, everywhere. And yeah, I, I mean, I amen to you for asking that question because it's those kinds of moments and stories that we need. And spotlight should be on the present moment. Man, forget Palestine and Israel for a second. How many of us spend so much of our life trying to not be in the present moment? Like, you know, Like I spent half my life worrying about what I did and regretting it or worrying about what's gonna happen. That in the process, I'm not in the present moment, you know? That's what all this mindfulness, wellness, like stuff that's like, you know, becoming more popular is really about. Why, why? Because when you're in the present moment, you see things clearly. And that's what Israel doesn't want. They don't want the world or specifically Israelis to be in the present moment and see clearly what their money and what their support for their government is actually doing on a human level. Why? Because it actually goes against the very essence of what it means to be Jewish, especially in the context of the Holocaust. And people are always like, oh my God, he's trying to compare the Holocaust to the... Well, guess what? Jewish people were kicked out of, I mean, sure, you cannot compare the magnitude of the Holocaust in the same way of what's happening in Israel, Palestine, because it's not that effective. But what you what we all must do. People, the Jewish people who were kicked out of Europe were kicked out. Why? Because our, our of identity. their identity, whether it's religion or was there is it their race? Well, I don't know. Is Jewish a race? Sort of seems like it. Is it a religion? I don't know, definitely their identity, they were kicked out and they were murdered and they were collectively killed. And and I've been to Auschwitz in Poland. I've been to Eastern Europe and seen, and it it makes me want to vomit. It's disgusting what happened to these people. And how sad that in just a few short, however many years after, those same people started killing, and kicking out people who are Palestinians for their identity. And you know what that shows us about the world? Not that I'm trying to like pontificate, but it's one of them, it's a lyric in my soon to be released possibly rap song. Hurt people hurt people. History yeah. teaches us that. And in relationships, you guys are young, I'm sure you've been in relationships or if you haven't, when someone hurts you, even if you're the most noble person and your intentions are not to hurt them, the next person you're with, chances are you're going to hurt them. It's yeah. just human nature. Hey, this is how the loop of life. It's and it's trauma. not always trauma and how trauma manifests and insecurity and fear. I mean, we're complicated human beings, right? And that's what kills me about the Israel-Palestine Palestine of it all. It's like, and that's what kills us all. And, you know, I've had Jewish friends and I've dated Jewish people. And, like, I have no shame in saying this because I have nothing against Jewish people. I have nothing against them. You know, I have something against people who have things against people because of who they are only if they're not hurting you. That's what I have an issue with. Just like I have issues with the Germans hating the Jews, just like I have issues or killing the Jews, just like I have issues with Israelis killing Palestinians and feeling like they're somehow able to justify it. How is that justifiable? I mean, I know this sounds like a very oversimplified thing I'm saying, but really when it comes down to it, the story of Israel and Palestine can, can be described in four words, actually two words that repeat, hurt people, hurt people. And it's, it's so sad. And that's why like for so long, I couldn't cover it anymore. Because once I started to see these patterns in myself on a personal level, I was just like the self rejection got real. <laughs> And that's why I always tell you, like, I'm on this journey trying to, like, detach a bit from my identity. It's like, who am I? Like you said, the word choice you said actually wasn't what the word I was going to do. but Because it's, it's true. It's identity. They kill them because of their identity. Like, you know, when I tell certain Americans who are so ignorant about what's happening there, like, no, there are, there are, like, yes, of course, Palestinians are Muslim. But there's also a lot of Palestinians that are Christian. Also, Jesus was you know, Palestinian yeah. also Beth- Bethlehem also like and they're just like shocked you know and, you know, and so that's why for me it's like <clears throat> it's not a religion war. it's not a religious war no,
1: if, it's not, a yeah. war about identity I mean just to point just to put it in there Zionism was a very secular movement it had almost 100%. nothing to do with Judaism yeah, it was run by Asia, as a religion so, yeah,
0: it was mm-hmm. yeah. exactly especially in its origins right yeah, I mean it's here in Budapest, uh, through Herzl's um, birthday. Uh, exactly.
2: Look, you—you you guys going back to the roots?
0: Sorry, guys. But, uh, I, I think no, I got No, a- that's fine. That's fine. I mean, you almost made me cry about that kid. Um, okay. But yeah, uh,
1: <laughs> so we've we've talked about collective trauma a lot. Um, from my side, I feel like collective trauma to me, to some extent, is the experience of my grandparents. You know, so so my grandpa's originally from Jerusalem. He was born in Safed. He had to run for his life to Lebanon. And, um, you know, he tells you the stories. He tells you things. He tells you how his house was. And you're not there, right? So you don't see it. But you still feel very, very present. And even when you talk about Palestine, we talk about it in a way where that trauma actually kind of happened to us. Right. Yeah. So, So can you touch more about collective trauma since you talk about it so much? And then I'll go on to the actual question I want to ask.
2: <clears throat> About collective trauma?
1: About collective trauma, but in a—is it what do you think is something that Palestinians all sort of share, whether collective trauma or not? <sighs> so regardless of, oh, okay, Gaza, West Bank, you have this passport, you lived here for whatever amount of years of your life. What is something that on a very raw and basic level, if we all sit on the same table? What do we share? We share this.
2: Sorry, I'm I'm taking it all in because um, it's heavy already, Uh, the question. Anger management. (laughs) Uh, um, Anger management, attachment issues. I think we all have attachment issues. If we're all at a table and we're all being honest at the dinner table, then yeah, we'd all realize that we have attachment issues. Possibly addiction issues, <laughs> um, and I don't just mean to substances and you know whiskey and, and weed yeah. and things like. But um, and not to be so negative, I'm trying to think more kind of reflectively. It's a great question. Um, pride uh you know an over an over like an overwhelming kind of over hyper sort of pride Um, uh and it's it's a hard question for me because as i told you in my immediate family like the palestinianness of us all is is not the way i've seen it with a lot of my friends where there's like you know everything is like palestine 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 i was like that for a while and it was a way to rebel against my family's kind of uh, my immediate family's kind of Maybe more subdued version of that, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you know, collective trauma often over the years and decades, what does it do? It like shifts a society's culture, and it shifts, and it it leads to kind of like these kind of massive kind of actions. So I don't know. Um, I don't know. What what would you answer, Mada? Um.
0: I would say, like, from the positive things, obviously, like, we share the food, the culture, the pride. But uh, the trauma is kind of what stands out for me, to be honest. I mean, especially on a personal level. Yeah. So my great-grandma on the way out of Palestine, and I said this on, like, the previous episode that the recorded, um, she had to give birth in the car yeah. on the border of Palestine-Jordan in 1948. So they came to Jordan, then Syria, well, uh, fast forward a couple generations. Because of we lived in Syria and the political situation, we were, um, we were kicked out of Syria or we had to leave in 2003. And I recently visited the house that we stayed in for six months in Cyprus. We had to go and stay there. And on the, my dad went first. And then my mom followed me and my mom went. And then on, um, because I had a Syrian passport, my mom had a document. So they had the same color. They stamped my passport and hers because they're inside each other. But then the guy was like, no, no, come back. You have a document. You don't have a visa. So they sent us back in the same plane. And so in 2000, after 2011 and what happened, we cannot go back to Syria anymore. I'm not allowed to go back to Syria. Um, so I can't go back to both where I feel like maybe I would belong. You know? Yeah. And just yeah. talking with like Khaled and like honestly, for example, in my Palestinian side, I didn't feel very connected to it up until I became friends with God. You didn't? Not really, because I grew up in Syria. My dad, like, we're taught to somehow believe that your dad's side is where you're from.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that is an
0: issue we want to touch upon later, maybe. But, like, I don't know why this is.
2: It's the patriarchy.
0: but Obviously, but it's it's very weird that, like, okay, why? Like, yeah, my dad's side, but I also have another side, which is Palestinian. And I've always felt very Syrian, but, like, Coming here, talking to Khaled, like living with him for a bit and all that made me like kind of get back in touch with my roots, but also made me realize that we're most more similar than we actually think that we're divided, but we're very similar in a way, you know, because this guy, you have uh, other traumas, Khaled's family has other traumas, but in a way it's all been inflicted by the same entity, you know, by the same occupation for the same reasons.
2: Well and and it, I thanks for sharing that because it makes me realize that last part you know and and, and obviously Khaled, like I, I would love to hear your point too but like you know my mom and dad rarely talk about their journey out of Palestine um and there are some families, and through my interviews as a journalist, you know, I've, I've come across people who've made that journey, you know. I mean, my, my dad's family were on the border in Egypt, like, waiting in the desert in tents. Like, my grandfather would go back and then come back and trying to get back in, and he couldn't. You have PTSD, like we said, and I think then you're raised by these parents. You know, my parents were raised by their parents, and they inherited... in however it manifested itself and in the upbringing and then they also went through their own trauma but then they were raised by these traumatized people and then we all are the products of these traumatized people and they're traumatized that trauma manifests itself in different ways it could be an eating disorder it could be a drug addiction it could be a million different things a rejection or no i'm now i'm 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 Emirati or whatever it is that you became, or I'm American or I'm Canadian or a rejection of my identity and a, d- a deep, overwhelming desire to be super Western and, you know, whatever. It manifests in a, you know, sex addiction. I don't know, like trauma can, can manifest in, in incredible ways, you know, and very divergent ways. And it was just, when you were talking, it made me realize that um, when you said, what do we all have in common? I don't know that, you know we, we necessarily sure knafe and like or whatever you know what and all this stuff but you know i love and they eat that in syria and they eat that in egypt and you know and that's like to your point that we have more in common than than that separates us but but i do i just i guess for me the real thing that i realize we all have in common is is um the manifestation of compounded trauma over generations now, because it's been, like you said, over seven years. And, um, you know, I see it in myself. Like, I really do see it in myself. Like, you know, people always say to me, people always say to me because of my public role and kind of like, for example, you were like, oh, you're the first Palestinian journalist that I, you know, and, and like that makes me feel proud you know, that, that that you could as a 14 year old or however young you were, see me and, and identify with me on some way because of this thing we have in common that's often causes a lot of pain and suffering and see it as a point of pride. And I'm sure it's not just me, but in different fields, like I have that with so many Palestinians. And I guess what I'm trying to say is like, we, uh, I think we, we have a lot of manifested pain and trauma in ways that like, sadly, for a lot of us, unless you do the work of unpacking that and, and start at a relatively young age, like some people get to, and we, look, it's not just Palestinians, we all have trauma, but we have a lot. And, and you know, I've, I've I'll just be really kind of candid. I've been on a healing journey, like so many other people, long before the pandemic, which was born out of a, a rude awakening that I have a lot of trauma that is, is, um, inherited. Uh, and when I say inherited, it's not just like oh my grandma, my this, it's, it's again, everything we just discussed, but but it, it is it is um, that trauma prevents us from self actualizing and reaching our potential. And I don't mean in a job or in a career only, I mean, reaching your potential as a, as a fully functioning, you know, human. independent, happy, healthy human. Yeah, exactly. Got it
1: um well for me to touch on the positive notes a bit i mean okay we have we have the food we have we have songs yes. like there are some songs that i actually don't like i'm not going to mention them because they're very popular songs <laughs> but i pretend to like them <laughs> yeah
2: yeah no i i you feel know, the same way man
1: i pretend to like them because it's the vibe everyone's into it Everybody is into it, no matter like how old or young they are. You're into it in the Levant. In and general.
2: amen for music, because uh, you're right. We got so dark, but like you know, music is such an incredible way to to channel trauma into something constructive exactly. and to yeah. celebrate. It like doesn't even have to
1: be a good song. It just has to like you know hit the right notes and like you're there. Yeah, <laughs> the vibe.
2: Yeah, everyone up and, and jumping. It's
1: the vibe, man. <laughs> or even even like food. Okay, like you said. In the Levant, in general, we share certain foods. I would say 90% of our our foods in general are very similar, if not the same. But then you have like you know when you flip the nube and you and you put it up, like that's something <laughs> that everybody is into. Like you you pull you pull the pot up, everyone starts screaming. Everyone's into it. Yeah, it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Elvis Elvis
2: literally walked into the room.
1: Exactly, yeah. and and um, you know I've seen that in Palestinians in general even even fourth fifth generation Palestinians who live in countries yeah. that speak languages that we may not even know yeah. when you when you pull that up they're all super into it. <laughs> <laughs> but um so yeah in, in
2: like, those kinds it's basically of basically an upside down cake that's made of rice and yeah, yeah. yeah. meat what is better in the world <laughs> yeah, exactly
1: <laughs> or or we recently made a post about yef yeah. oranges i knew nothing about yef oranges uh, either the i i guess, I guess yeah. you didn't either uh, you didn't no what zero. zero
2: that's so sad to me oh man that is yeah that's where things get lost right i'm not trying to make it negative again because that's why it's so important for us to preserve the food and preserve the stories of the food and you know, I have a friend Judy Kella who you should totally have on your podcast. She's a really Yeah, she's a host. chef. Yeah. We actually learned to cook
1: we from her. We actually learned to cook from her, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you learned to cook from her? Quarantine. We got our book and we just like kept on doing everything. <laughs> that's
2: amazing to hear. That's the antidote is celebrating the stuff that unites us and that's that's nourishing because food and music is and food's nourishing on a physical level, but like music, like, you know, and that's why like the Malube thing upside down, the reason we love it, it's like it's like basically like a like a mini concert.
0: Yeah. Like, exactly. Like, there's
2: like a smoke machine, there's like a board at the end, like a you know. Um but yeah, yeah. I mean
1: So like in that sense, but to take it back to a little bit of a darker space. Yeah. <laughs> and and the whole trauma. Um for me, it's honestly even if it's not my family or I met the person for the first time, just hearing their parents or their grandparents speak about it, it's yeah. not just a story. When I listen to it, and I think when many of us listen to it in general, it's not just a story. It's us, you know. We're, we're there. So that's kind of that's kind of we're all in the same boat. If you're not if you're not exiled, you're under occupation, or you're a second class citizen in in the occupation. Um, state, so so all of us are affected by this one way or another. Yes, to less degrees, but yeah. whether it's my grandpa speaking about it or your or your dad speaking about it or his great grandma speaking about it, we all kind of know where that's coming from.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. The one thing I want to say about collective trauma um, that I that I wish I would have opened with is the comparison game that happens um, inadvertently or, or on purpose. like when I went back to uh, Palestine for the first time, I was 23, 24, I was going for my friend's wedding. His name is Skandar Kapti, he's a famous filmmaker. Uh, He made this amazing doc or film called Ajami, and I was so happy that I was worried that I would go the first time as a journalist, like there to cover the occupation. I was so honored and, and happy that I was going as a friend of this guy and I was going to like this place in Yaffa and, you know, wedding and celebration. It was a positive thing, you know, and obviously it was still a heavy trip. But what I'm trying to say is like I encountered so many different obviously I'm coming in with all this privilege, right? I'm Kuwaiti, I, I, you know, in the sense that I have a place that I can go and a home and I'm free to move around. In it. And then I also American and the education. So I get there and like immediately something I hadn't even anticipated ha started happening where I was otherized, not just by Israelis. Like everywhere I went because of the way I was dressed and my American-ish accent, they were like, all these Israeli kids would be like, where are you from? You know, and I would be like the day one, day two in Yafat. I'm like, oh, I'm Palestinian, and uh, you know, I made it a point to say Palestinian. I wasn't about to be like, well, I grew up in Egypt and I lived in Austria. No, I was there. I was Palestinian, and I was home. And, you know, and they were like laughing in my face, laughing. What do you mean you're Palestinian? You're not Palestinian. Come on. And they're speaking to me in Hebrew, being like, yo, speak Hebrew. You're clearly Israeli. And I had a shaved head. You know, I didn't look like like I look now. I had like a shaved head. I was super tan. So they probably thought my name was Dor, you know. And it was this really trippy experience because the Israelis were othering me, like, no way he can't be Palestinian because. And then on the flip side, when I was in like Ramallah or wherever I went, Palestinians were like, you're not Palestinian. I sound a bit Lebanese. My accent's a bit Lebanese because I had a lot of Lebanese friends and I spent a lot of time living and working in Lebanon as a journalist, you know. So I picked up Shweim from their dialect because, like, I've been adapting my whole life, life, you know, as a Palestinian. That's another thing I would tell you, actually, to flip it back. What would we all have in common at the dinner table that we can adapt? I mean, you guys are in Budapest, right? Yeah. And I'm sure you've adapted to Budapest in one way or 20 ways. Anyway, so... Othering thing, though, on a serious point, I touched on it in the context of journalism. But like when I got to Palestine, I was disheartened, but also grateful to to have this insight, which is, you know, Palestinian. <clears throat> أنتَ أنتَ كِيفَ أنتَ عُمْرَكْ مَا عَشْتَ You know, there were a lot of young Palestinians who would say this to me. Uh, uh, you're not Palestinian. You grew up abroad. You're born in the Or I would see Palestinians talk to each other and they'd be like, oh, you live in Jerusalem and you have this Hawiyeh and you went to school in Norway, you know, like, you know, we're sizing each other up. Like it's this other, like your experience was us bad. Or like you're saying, these Palestinian third generation living in Chile and Colombia and they're like, you know, like Spanish and they're not even like, but they're not Palestinian. Or like Mada, like you were saying, like, until you met Khaled, you weren't as in touch with your thing because you're Syrian and your dad. It's because in so much of the Arab world, for example, only the father can pass on citizenship. Like Iran just changed that yesterday or today. You know, so how do we define what makes us Palestinian? Like, am I not Palestinian? Was I not Palestinian at the age of 18? Because I'd never lived there. Because my parents don't have any land there. Because let's say my family, I have no family there. But I speak Palestinian. I eat ma'loube. I, you know, I know everything about Palestine. My, my mother tongue in Arabic is Palestinian. Even if I sound a bit Lebanese. Like, what makes you anything in this day and age when it's all khalqa? And like, that's, that's also intentional. And I, I just, I hate to see Palestinians sizing each other up on how Palestinian they are, or if they're Palestinian at all, at all, based on where you grew up or where your parents, like, you know what I mean? Like, so many more left than state over the, like, if you look at, like, who has, who can be traced back to Palestine around the world? More of us are out. Yeah. More of us are out. Yeah. yeah. Right? A vast majority. Yeah, I think uh, so. For sure. I think it's like, what, 14 million or something or 12 million? I don't know. I, I get the numbers mixed up.
1: I think like, as far as I know, we're in total 13 million. 13, yeah. And uh, uh, over half are outside. Yeah, yeah
2: I think it's o- over half. Yeah. I think yeah, like, so. I don't know. South America, by now, I'm sure it's like 20 million. Like, half of, <laughs> like, so many people in South America, if you go back, about, yeah. back, 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 there's a the Palestinian, but they don't even know. You know, they just, like, because they're that far back. I mean, you know, because people were going there even before the Even before, 30s. like, during the Ottoman. Yeah. yeah. Way back when people were going, and they're having kids. So, yeah. who knows? You know, what? Are they not Palestinian? because they're fifth generation? They're definite, they're that's honestly
1: like a really. That's honestly a really weird topic to talk about too because like, okay, so so Palestino, which is a Palestinian football yeah. club in Chile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They watch them in Palestine. I mean, they they watch them as much as they watch the actual Palestinian national team. And yeah. when, you, when you see a Palestino play, their stadiums are filled with Palestinian flags and everyone's super proud of being Palestinian and they're a really badass team. Like they're way better yeah. than the Palestinian national team by far. Yeah. So... But then you go, even within Palestine, okay, I would sort of, to some extent, understand if they did that to people who have been forced to live outside of Palestine. But they also do it amongst each other, as you said. So, so if you have a Palestinian-Israeli citizenship, they, yeah. he may be treated differently if he went to Ramallah or something. So, so as, mu- as much as this is about connecting or bringing together different Palestinians, I mean, to see like a Palestinian is a Palestinian, It's for people in Palestine to also see that.
2: Hundred percent. That's exactly. I mean, look at look at the tatbira. Like, look at the normalization now that's happening in the Gulf. I mean, beyond the betrayal and the offensive nature of it to so many people, look at the logistics. Like now, my friends who are the twenty percent or however much of the Israeli. Population that are Arabs that are sorry Palestinians that are Palestinians ethnically but have Israeli citizenship now they can go to Dubai You know what I mean? They can fly to Dubai and come back right because they're Israeli and there's now these ties but can the Palestinians how easy is it for them to get to Dubai and by the Palestinians again even my terminology when we talk about semantics now I'm trying to distinguish between two people whose have the exact same culture and background. If you go back to their parents' generation, they eat the same food, they lived in the same land, they probably worked in the same places. But one of them, and now Israeli, and just like you said, that dude you met, Ahmad, he's like, yo, I'm Israeli. And like, I have friends of mine who are Israeli, who who are Palestinian Israelis, who work in the Gulf. And now that this deal is happening, their lives just got a hell of a lot easier. Their family can visit, it's no longer a hush hush. You know, and so it's, it's, it's like, I don't know. And that like that also
1: sort of, so see, they can go to Dubai now, but other Palestinians who are stateless and under occupation can't. So Cannot. there's another way that the occupation is sort of getting psychological.
0: Yeah, and enforcing that separation that we're using, like you said, the
1: Exactly.
2: You know? you know, we're we're us three are sitting. You know we're sitting here saying there's more that separates us. I mean, there's more that unites us than separates us. But look at what's actually happening. Like people are being separated physically, opportunities, uh, also terminology. Like, okay, so are those Israeli Palestinians who are citizens who go to Dubai? Are they there as Palestinians in an Arab country? They speak the same language. <laughs> are they Israeli or are they Palestinian? In Dubai, in the context of Dubai, how does Dubai yeah. receive them? As Israelis. Dubai receives, this was done on purpose, erasure. Yeah. To erase the Palestinian. Any Anybody who tells you that this occupation is not about erasing Palestinian culture, first and foremost, which is the Foundation of identity is lying. I mean, it, that's what it is. Definitely. Like, yeah. trying to Take
0: the food. The airport is there. Why, and they just. Re- why kill us it. anymore? The, yeah, the killing
2: now. The killing is like the icing on the cake. Now it's no longer yeah. the objective. They're not trying to because the actual mortality, right? Because yeah. as we discussed earlier, like the best way to kill them is to erase them, erase the definitely. culture, they yeah, make them Israeli.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: So even within Palestine, 1948, they remove olive trees, they, they try to ban zatar picking. So even yeah. Palestinians who, who live in 1948 and are citizens, um, they can't really practice the culture properly as well. So, so yes, they suffer to a lesser degree, but you know, to try to exercise their Palestinianness is discouraged, if not made illegal in very discreet and sort of manipulative ways.
0: Yeah. It's sad. And, and,
2: and you know, one thing I will say is, this whole idea of negating my claim or someone's claim to Palestinian identity as a Palestinian, like the ones living inside who never left, do it. And they probably have a right to, I, not right to, let me say, I understand why. I understand why, right? I can empathize with why they would do that. But in the process, what are they doing? They're helping this strategy of exactly, and when when I've had these conversations, heated ones, where I'm trying to you know with all respect be like, listen, I understand. And I just went to a conference in Cyprus that was about sexuality and gender. Had nothing to do with Palestine, right? Except that it was the first time that a a group of Palestinian you know women and and people uh, from different sexual groups came. And it was an amazing thing. They're in Cyprus, they're there, and I'm meeting with them and we're all talking. And, you know, we're really, really like, I, these are people who like, I, I, you know, they're coming from a completely different like place. And, and I feel like they're my cousins. Like, I, you know, like my actual cousins, like the ones who grew up outside of Palestine. Like, you know, in, in Cyprus, we were the same. In Cyprus, our differences weren't as obvious, right? Because we're in a hotel and we're there for a totally different reason. and. And I'm vibing with them and had a gas, and just the you know, and then like I, they go back to Palestine, and then some of the conversations become about like, well, he ain't really Palestinian, though. you know he's going back to New York to Brooklyn to his free life and his and you know from their perspective, I get it, they're right from their perspective, am I Palestinian? If Palestinian to them is being oppressed and having to show your ID and maybe being shot and having no this and no this, maybe that's what, you know, is that what that it's sad if that is what Palestinians become, but in their reality from their perception, which dictates reality, that's what Palestinian is. So how am I Palestinian? I'm gallivanting around the world with my, you know, my like easy access passport. You know? That's
1: their experience being from... Palestinian. So so that's kind of why we asked you what was your experience being Palestinian?
2: Yeah. And the the thing is when I exactly that's their experience. And how many experiences are there though, Khaled? Right? Like there's a million. Yeah. A it's almost endless, right? Because You know, you go to China, Tokyo, I don't know, it's just like endless. And people who negated the religion and and so I'm saying this because the point was like I would keep trying. And it's like a point of privilege. It's a, it's a hard thing to say when I'm like, yo, no, but we the same though. And they're like, no, we ain't look at you. Like, you know, and then the irony is because of globalized globalism, like globalization rather because of like culture, American culture and Western culture, like they're listening to Lizzo and all these pop, you know, and we're listening to the same stuff. And like, I just thought, you know, and because of Instagram, we're all following the same accounts and Oh, did you see this thing? When you're in a position of privilege in any context, I think it's really important to be kind of like understand that your privilege makes it so that it's not that you're any less Palestinian, um, but, you know, that we can... Search for the things we haven't, like the matlube of it all, to Khaled's point, and all your points <laughs> is like we all love matlube, so that's what Palestinian is. We all feel like we don't belong, even. And the thing I always say to them is, I'm like, listen, you're living in a really shitty situation, much worse than me, 100 percent. You know, day to day, 100 percent, you know, especially those who aren't Israeli. I get it, you're living in an occupation. I've been there I've tried my best as a journalist to do and I'm not trying to be like I've tried my best to help you no that's not my point my point is I was curious to see it because it's 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 in me but then also from keep in mind that you don't know what it's like for me because let's say you've never been to the states and I'm not comparing the suffering I'm just saying they don't know what it's like when I'm in the states and a cop comes up and I'm Ahmed and I have a cafe on you know like it's not that It's not that that's as hard as whatever, but it's a unique experience to the context of America and being a Palestinian there, or you don't know what it's like when I'm trying to get my job and I've hustled and I'm trying to, and uh, they won't let me cover this story left and right. And because I'm Palestinian, they don't want, you know, so we all, we all like, it's just like, it's just about shifting the focus, right? Like for me, like let's shift the focus to the things that we can celebrate together and fight to
0: change. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I I notice you focus a lot on psychology, and um, like perspectives, reality. um, And you just said, like, like every experience is different. Every reality is different. So your experience is valid just because they have a different reality or a harder one. Or maybe for you, it is harder. Like, you know, you cannot really compare your reality to theirs because everybody grew up different. They have different culture, different parents, different Ah. traumas, different, you know, everything. Yeah. Um but like you said, like you talk also a lot about shifts. So taking it to that direction, um, this generation is like more into there's a lot of focus on passing collective power right now, so to speak. Um and as a journalist, or maybe you're trying to, you know, let's not say journalist anymore, because maybe no, you're not. But say as a journalist, it. like you're in my opinion, like my dad worked in journalism, for example, and um I think you, like even if you're not objective even if you are sorry you're a little bit biased because yeah. you show it from your reality so you shift realities as journalists by the story you tell you shift it yeah. so yeah. and basically my question is you see the results of your work for example with people like, like Khaled for example he's been watching you for years and all that how do you think a Palestinian collective effort in this struggle um, how important do you think that is and how can people contribute more um, into, you know, getting together and, you know, showing that unified front.
2: In the context of journalism?
0: No, in the context of of everyday life. Like for example, like, you know, types of resistance, like there's painting, there's music, there's, um, you know, dancing, there's many ways of, or forms of resistance. So how would you, how would you say a collective power movement right now is is important
1: even Palestine on the plate I mean part of the reason why she even made that was her form of resistance
0: yeah I mean food you know showing that culture we we literally bond over food so yeah from that context I guess um,
2: how can we come together there's this guy named Marwan Abdel Hamid you guys know him
1: yeah, we do. Good.
2: <laughs> How do you know him?
1: Uh, we were we... supposed to have him on the podcast. We love his song anyways. Like, his song's amazing. Jerusalem Freestyle is, is beast. Like- it is
2: a good song. It is beast. Um, yeah. So, the reason I brought him up is just because I think, I just think we got to shift into celebrating each other more often than not and celebrating, like, what makes us all different, unique, and connecting, like, over. Look, like, I think we talked about this offline before it started, like, You know, Jewish people are very good at networking all around the world. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is that they were persecuted all around the world. You know what I mean? And for us, I just think for Palestinians, like, we got to learn from, you know, we got to learn from each other. And this podcast, and I hate to answer this, like, sounds like a cop out, but like, there's a reason why I didn't hesitate when you reached out to me. And I'm just the kind of person that like I'm not trying to sound like noble, but something inside me because of maybe all the pain and division, all the stuff that I've talked about when it comes to like Palestinian culture and identity, like when Palestinians come at me with wanting something or wanting me to participate in something, it's like nine point nine times out of ten, even when I can't or I'm busy or whatever. I say, yeah, unless like, you know, they're like Sketchy and their motivations and their purposes all off. But and and I, you know, I think that's something not that I came up with. It's something I observed and I learned from others growing up, you know? And something that felt natural to me because we gotta make space. Like you wanna change things, you gotta make space to change things. And the only way you can make space to change things is if you expand outward. And there's Palestinians all over the world and beyond Palestinians, there are people. Who care deeply because they have an affinity with Palestine? Because they're indigenous, they were kicked off their land, or they're black and they feel like they can relate to the way that. And it's like, yeah, as Palestinians, we got to stick together. We got to come together over the things that connect us, and we got to work and all this stuff. And 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 and, and um, focus less on on like the beginning of this conversation. Maybe I took it to a dark place, but like focus less on what is lacking. Focus less and and focus the spotlight on what's holding us back. Like even Mada said earlier, like put a mirror on ourselves, not just on the Sultan, the people who are corrupt and who are benefiting from the occupation. No, from the Palestinians in everyday life who may be for whichever reason, making it harder for us to, 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 um, to coalesce and to, to address kind of, you know, what's holding us back um, from, yeah from bringing change and a couple other young people who are trying to find ways to connect people who have money and who care about Palestine
0: Um,
2: because you know money matters right that's not my expertise so I'm not going to talk about that one thing I will say uh, on the flip side of money is like uh, contribute sounds like money right i think and it's cheesy and easy for me to say oh storytelling is one way like make sure we all like lift each other up tell our stories one thing i would i would say is like there is a shift happening in america that is something i've witnessed over 15 years and i don't want to get ahead of myself but connecting to other people and bringing people into the fold who aren't palestinian and finding meaningful, authentic ways in which they can contribute to shining a light on not just the suffering of Palestinians, but the hypocrisy of a lot of it and all the things that are holding us back, um, I think is really underrated. Like I always think change comes best from within. And I, I truly believe in my heart of hearts that for the situation on the ground to change in Israel, and Palestine it's got to come from inside Israel like you know I really do believe that and I think all these peace fake peace deals with all these Arab countries is like an a, a further painful reminder and indication that like a lot up you know with whatever terminology you want to use to refer to Arabs you know it's not you know there's there was a like a Farcical lie that like oh it's like Palestine's the most important thing for Arab populations. That's no longer true in a lot of Arab countries. Just not just about, forget governments. I'm talking about people. It's like maybe Algeria, maybe like you know a couple places, but ultimately that's not true. And. As a result, it's got to come from inside Palestinian society and Israeli society. And one of the ways, and I think America plays a critical role because of its like relationship with Israel, and also like in terms of you know, its relationship financially as well and militarily. But yeah, how can people contribute? I mean, um, buy Judy's cookbooks <laughs> and give them and give them to your friends and. Teach them about our food and our culture, not just about our children that keep getting shot and killed and all this stuff, right? It's not about either or, but like, we gotta celebrate our culture. Like, not to make this light, but like we gotta help other people recognize our culture. Visibility in any social justice movement is important. Women's rights, you know, queer rights, whatever it might be. And you know, we gotta be visible. And you're wearing your kefayas and you're right there. You're visible in my little Zoom. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there's there's a lot of different ways. Like, you know, for me, like, I have a lot of internal problems with my family because I I self-identified my whole career as Palestinian first. And that was a conscious choice that closed a a lot of doors for me. But the reason I did that is because I knew that regardless of what came out of my mouth, by virtue of several factors which i don't need to name if i walk into a room and i'm there representing pbs or the new york times or whatever company and i'm like you know this young relatively not ugly human being and i walk in and if i charm a couple people and then they're like who is that guy ahmed and then they look it up and they're oh he's palestinian. he's palestinian you know that's important to me. And that always was maybe more important than like having this career that like, oh, I'm gonna like just sit and read teleprompter and make a lot of money and like be the next Anderson Cooper. That was important to me because it's, I was being visible as a Palestinian in all those rooms. And it oftentimes had nothing to do with Palestine. I was talking about like microfinance in like Southeast Asia or whatever it was, you know? Um, you know, being on CNN and all that stuff you know sure there's a little bit of ego involved but like again how can we contribute like i'm trying to make it less about me it's about being visible that's my that's the way i was visible you know like and we each find our way like you know the dancers who who have those incredible skills and moves like dj khaled i'm sorry i'm going to i don't want to offend you but like dj khaled is a big disappointment to me not only because i don't like his music sorry i hope this doesn't come back to bite me like you know. But yo, where are you at? where's where when are you repping us at all? And why aren't you? Is my question for DJ Khalid. Why aren't you? They do articles about him in magazines about Palestine and homeboy's like, yeah, 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 Knafa. I'm sorry, what? Like, really? Come on. <laughs> Yeah, like he's just like you know, my son and whatever. Uh, Allah, like prayer, Palestine. He'll say it once. Like, come on, man. Like, you know, just like like Gigi Hadid is repping you better than like Dua Lipa is repping Palestine better.
0: Than I mean, for for the for the sole purpose of reach, I hope DJ Khaled watches this.
1: He has to get to him. No, I've been wondering why you haven't been repping
2: us. Like Drake reps us better, you know. Uh,
0: <laughs> um, i think uh, i think what like what i like about what you're doing is that like platform like you have a relatively big following um i would say just platform like giving your platform um to like I-, I love what you're doing like for example we're not a big page yet or like you know we're just starting this podcast and like yeah like we were excited like oh bro i'm gonna just follow this and i was like oh like dope you know and it, <laughs> yeah, it was great because like you're you're trusting us with this like okay you're giving us your time your effort and you're you know you're being open with us and you're giving us a platform as well to talk about this thing that needs to be talked about you know so that is also important so yeah maybe i was too honest but at this
2: point in my my life i'm choosing to be honest no but to your point you know what can we do how do you contribute like you say yes when it's about palestine and you make sure that when you're saying yes it's about uplifting palestine or like framing it in the right light and so that's why it's like, you know, 1241 here and you're in Budapest and we just two and a half hours into this combo And I'm like, ran like, I just I care too much about I care too much about Palestine because few few others do. So I think what can we do? Help people care. And if that's through buying Judy's cookbook, Palestine on a Plate, by the way, Beledee's even better. Um, you know, and I'm. Uh, yeah and 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 be real and like judy's maybe working on a third book just like i joke with her she's a friend of mine so i'm always like judy she might call it judy eats um or like i always joke with her that it should be just like what does she eat that's not palestinian because like you know it's like then maybe more people will relate like she cooks things that aren't palestinian and maybe palestinians and other people want to know what that is so i think it's about being you know our true selves and Buying Judy's cookbooks. That's all it is. I'm gonna buy it for DJ. I'm gonna send it to <laughs> I'm gonna be like, which of these do you actually cook?
0: Um, just take it back and like kind of wrap it up. What yeah. are you doing now, personally, as Ahmed? And um, yeah. w- what are your plans for the future? What are you what are you hoping to do in the next few years, you know, etc.?
2: Um Right now, that's a great question. Right now, I'm spending a lot of time uh, exploring creative impulses mm-hmm. and trying to not attach that exploration to outcomes. I'm also spending a lot of time, um, for example, music and uh, writing down. I've spent like a, more than a decade telling other people's stories, and I think this pandemic has really helped me realize that I also have a storytelling to tell and and it doesn't only need to be told in like tweets and instagram stories here and there um that there may be some value in telling it in a more engaging entertaining way that explores some creative things so it's like i'm working i don't want to oversell it because like i have a tendency of saying things before fully fleshed and then like it gets complicated but i appreciate the question because um i'm working on um a show that I'm going to try to pitch to like Netflix or Hulu or you know one of those um, platforms and it's a show that's about it's like a variety show I guess is the right word Um, it's a little bit of talk a little bit of comedy a lot of bit of commentary um and maybe even some music and dance (laughs) um but it's but it's it's like a 30 minute show that i hope to make that's gonna challenge people's perceptions and make them laugh um so i'm working on that and then i i i like you guys started recording a podcast and i started editing it on my own but i never felt the conviction that it was strong enough or like what i wanted it just didn't feel right but it's about people shifting uh perceptions and perspectives in their own lives and what what lessons we can learn from them but there it's really just like candid conversations with dope people um that i admire um that it was a nice excuse to talk to those people um yeah and that's what i'm working on what what was the other part what can i expect in the future um one thing i'm really excited about is getting healthier put it there okay a little less. I mean, you guys are young, so it's fine. (laughs) But you get to a certain point in life, and you realize that um, it's like my mom always used to say, like, healthy body, healthy mind. Like, yeah, um, for a while there, I think I was I was making not the healthiest choices. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that in my personal life. And specifically to dancing. more. I have this thing that people who follow me like might know, and it seems a bit cheesy, but I think there's a lot of truth to it. When I was in Syria, when I was in Lebanon, when I cover war, I don't know if it's like intentional or not. The one, like kids dancing changes the vibe every, you can be in the worst, like, you know, and then like you see little Syrian and it sounds cheesy and cliche, but it's true. Like no, you, it's true. See, you see children embracing the joy of dance. So. For me like with this TV show I was telling you I'm trying to pitch like I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find a useful purposeful way to include that into my show um, in, a, in a constructive way that makes sense like a little bit of dance here and there. It's not gonna be like Ellen or anything but who knows. We'll see.
1: Beautiful. Inshallah. i hope that works out that's that sounds really i think nice. i think
2: it can i really think it can Plus, like you know we all have our destiny i feel like i was born to dance i'm just like my joints disagree but it's gonna happen
0: it's okay you'll manifest it
2: <laughs> there you go i'm glad you guys are manifesting this podcast on a serious note like i am really looking forward to listening to the conversation so please keep it up and um, thank you yeah good on
0: you thank I'm you yeah, yeah thanks thanks for coming on and yeah. um, honestly I I feel like we're we're sort of like maybe it's more but like for like we're we know each other like we're kind of friends right? <laughs> It's really yeah. like, very heavy and I was like okay like this is <laughs> you,
2: you stuck with me now I mean it's like you know you talk to a person for an hour about real real ish and yeah you you get close
0: hello again and for the last time this week we're really glad you made it to the end of this episode because this one really hit home for us. It reminded us of why we started the podcast in the first place. That being said, we release an episode every Thursday, so make sure you tune in, subscribe to this podcast, and follow us on Instagram at Unified for Palestine. And remember, Palestine is, was, and will forever be free. See you next time. Peace.